0: Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. Welcome
1: to Development Hell. horror movie that hits vod countless others end up doa development hell is the podcast dedicated to unearthing these cursed horror productions we're gonna find out what went wrong and then decide if these titles still stand a shot at the green light i am your host josh corngut i am the managing editor of dread central i am also a filmmaker in toronto canada This podcast is a proud member of the Dread Podcast Network. Today, we're switching things up just a little bit, and we will be talking to the filmmakers behind the very terrifying The Boy Behind the Door. We are talking with David Charbonnier and Justin Powell about what it took to get this indie chiller made. If you haven't seen The Boy Behind the Door, don't worry. We're not going to be heading into spoiler territory, although I definitely recommend you checking it out. It is very intense and very scary. The Boy Behind the Door is available to own right now on Blu-ray, so check that out any way that you can. And enjoy this interview with filmmakers David Chabonnier and Justin Powell. Welcome to the Development Hall podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. How's it going?
2: Uh, It's going well. Thanks for having us.
1: yeah thanks so much for having us how are you i'm doing good i was wondering if you could do me the favor of introducing yourselves to the dread central audience
2: sure i am justin powell and i'm one of the co-directors of the boy behind the door which we're talking about today and (laughs) uh, also the djinn
3: and david how about you i'm david Charbonnier, and i'm the other (laughs) half of this writing directing duo uh... i'm thrilled to have you both here today i'm a big
1: fan of both of your films And the world's kind of crazy right now. There's a lot going on in the news. And I'm just wondering, how are you guys holding up sort of on a personal level?
2: Uh, Honestly, a lot, I think, uh, better than when this all first started. You know, I think that a lot of us have gotten kind of into the groove of being able to to cope with, you know, what it is to live in a pandemic world. So, Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm kind of speaking for David, too. We both kind of homebodies. So it's 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 kind of nice to to be home a lot. So that doesn't bother us too much.
3: It's sort of just getting easier in a way. And I'm not totally missing a lot of the the social things that, you know, there was a lot of pressure to sort of do. I'm also very much a homebody. So it's nice to be able to work from home and do all that about LA traffic.
1: I was wondering if you're giving me a bit of a log line of what the boy behind the door is all about.
2: Sure. It's about uh, these two boys who, after getting kidnapped, have to figure out a way to save each other before the kidnapper realizes that they're kind of on the go. Mm -hmm. So it's this real kind of race against time, nonstop thriller. At least that's what we want it to be.
1: You guys premiered at Fantastic Fest in 2020. Was that festival sort of running
3: in person at that time? Mm -hmm. Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that was right when it was starting, kind of. I know we weren't, we were not able to attend. Actually, I don't even know if they had an in-person one, to be quite honest.
2: It was, it was totally virtual. Yeah. Cause that was in 2020 and I think September of 2020. So it was very in the midst of the pandemic. So no one was going in person and we were lucky that they had a festival at all, (laughs) to be
1: honest. Was it bittersweet getting into this incredible festival, but also knowing it wasn't going to play out in the traditional
3: way with the excitement still there for you guys when you got the good news the excitement was definitely still there i mean it it's indescribable it feels really good when you know your movie or something you worked on gets recognized even in any sort of way so we were super stoked and fantastic fest is just such a cool festival and going back to being homebodies i feel like that was one of the things where it took a little bit of the pressure off where we didn't you know we had to go through all that uh meeting people, talking, shaking hands on <laughs> my show. So how how are you usually with
1: that kind of a thing with networking and, and the parties and all that?
2: <laughs> I don't think either of us particularly enjoy uh, the networking aspect of the industry, which is sadly like 70% <laughs> of the industry. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we really just enjoy, you know, creating and, um, you know, just the artistic aspects. I think that we've had to force ourselves to become a little more comfortable with um, networking and you know getting to know each other, but I don't think we'll ever really feel fully comfortable in those kind of environments, if I'm being honest.
1: It seems like you guys have been working together for a while now. You have two major feature films, a couple of short films that I was noticing. How did you guys start working together creatively?
2: Ooh, okay. Well, we've known each other actually pretty much our whole lives. Uh, we've been best friends since kindergarten. Um, so we kind of always knew that we were going to end up like working together in some capacity, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, this kind of just speak a further extension of just our friendship in general, because uh, we both were always interested in film and horror. So it was just kind of the next logical step <laughs> for us. Cool. What
1: was the first like project which I'm assuming would have been a short that you guys developed together
3: well before we even like picked up a camera we really did spend a lot of time just writing um, coming up with different stories then you know we built those some of those out into scripts and of course everything you do when you're first starting out looking back isn't really good (laughs) first short I can't really remember what what that would have been I dabbled a lot before we I think we ever did anything very seriously um
1: I'm noticing two on IMDB that had fun log lines there was secret admirer and off season were those a little bit down the line had you guys sort of done smaller projects before yeah
2: I think we had done some small things before that I feel like we would consider maybe our first like real short together (laughs) um like where we were actually co you know writing, directing duos like we are now was Secret Admirer. That was a fun little creepy uh, short that I think actually really went a long way in helping us get Boy Behind the Door off the ground because uh, the executive, after we showed that to him, he was, you know, really impressed and and kind of was like, oh, okay, I think that they can actually handle a, um, a feature. So we'll go with that one.
3: Like of, of all the things we've done, it's weird. I... <laughs> I do really like that short film because it was, I think, like beginning experience for us in terms of like figuring out a look and an and an aesthetic that we liked and camera movement and angles and mm. it it was very um I think instructive and yeah it was just a great experience anyone that wants to get it, go into filmmaking should. Just start with the short film, even if you, you know, now iPhones can do so much and you just really discover so much when you sort of dive in and don't always like, I hate to say, it, don't always think too hard. You just have to sometimes just do it.
1: Could you tell me a little bit about Secret Admirer?
3: Basically, you know, it's a short film, so it, the story is a little bit more simplistic. I think it was really more of an exercise in tone and atmosphere. It's about a woman who gets a uh, a gift from a an admirer she doesn't know who it is and essentially over the short he uh eventually he breaks in and she's not exactly sure if someone's in the house with her or not actually shot in my apartment in the end yeah he's in the house with her
1: scary and similar themes to I guess both the features that I've seen from you guys so far before you started making films was horror a big part of your lives
2: uh yeah very much so Um, That was a really big foundation for even our friendship, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think that we kind of consider ourselves just, you know, there's a huge horror community out there um, and, you know, that are just big fans of the genre. And we've kind of always considered ourselves part of that and um, really just wanted to kind of, you know, uh, create content that really spoke to us and, you know, and inspired us growing up. Um, and so uh, yeah we're definitely really really huge fans of horror suspense thriller anything that kind of falls in that realm.
1: (laughs) Well I mean you can tell with these films that you guys you know love the genre. David where did horror and you start? Do you remember like what the first horror movie that really messed you up as a kid was?
3: Gosh that's an interesting question. (laughs) I feel like I had a really lucky childhood in a way where it's My parents weren't, like, crazy about, like, oh, you can't watch this, you can't watch that. Basically, I could just watch whatever I wanted. And a lot of, you know, many weekends, I would, you know, my grandmother would take me to, like, um, Blockbuster, and she would just let me, like, go down the horror aisle, and I could pick out, like, two movies. I don't know, really, like, it was, I think, that Blockbuster horror aisle is, like, crazy as that sounds, seeing, all like, the cool... Uh um vhs artwork horror movies do have like the coolest imagery i think in terms in like that sense so it draws you in you fall in love with just the the feeling the adrenaline of of watching a horror movie yeah if you want one specifically child's play has a very special place in my heart Uh the art the artwork is terrifying the (laughs) the second movie with him and those big scissors (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was definitely one of those
1: ones where I had to like bring up the courage to turn the box over. (laughs) I feel like that one took a while. And even the yeah, the stupid tagline on that, which is like, sorry, Jack, Chucky's back. I was like, no, it's too real. I can't do it. (laughs) Do you guys have like favorite classic franchises?
2: Yeah, yes and no. I mean, I feel like oftentimes horror franchises as a whole kind of start to fall apart. Um, they, they have, you know, they normally start out very strong before the filmmakers are thinking of turning it into a franchise because the studio's like, oh, this made money, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I, I actually, I've been thinking about this a lot lately though. And I've got to say, I feel that the most consistent horror franchise, when you think about it, I know it,
3: what you're going to say. I already know what you're going to say. Scream, is that what you're saying? I was going to say, yeah, Scream, because there's only mm-hmm. one movie in Scream that's, that's bad.
1: Okay, but well, that's- everyone's going to have a different answer for that, <laughs> which one that could be. Really? I mean, I, people don't agree with my least favorite, so I'd love to hear what you both think is <laughs> the sore thumb I, of the series.
2: I know that, uh, so, well, Dave and I are both in agreement that the third one is the worst, but at the same time, I know there's been a very big recent uptick for people <laughs> in terms of like appreciating the third one.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and I will say, because I rewatched it recently, I still don't like it, but I, <laughs> I do think it's not quite as bad as a lot of like when you think about like really bad horror movies, like franchises going to shit. Mm-hmm. It's not like on necessarily that level. But I feel like Definitely. Dream is so consistently good mm-hmm. that that one is like, it really is like a, a step down for, and it's for so many reasons. There was so much like studio interference and, uh-huh. you know, they couldn't get Nev Campbell to like, you know, to, to shoot as much as they really needed her in the movie and like just a whole bunch of crazy rewrites and all that stuff. And there was, the, I think their whole thing where they needed, um, like to have less violence. So things were kind of being censored. And so you kind of feel that in the ills not being as visceral. Um, mm-hmm. But when you like, you know, there are things that are great like Parker Posey and like, you know, the the main trio when they are there are still always fun. Um, but it just, I feel isn't quite as strong. Um, and, and, and obviously, you know, the writing just isn't quite there for obvious reasons. Um, so,
3: we don't. But all that to say, Scream is an amazing franchise. And yeah. we're all, only saying that about the third one because they set the bar so high with every single movie. Um,
1: it, the third one is good as it is. kind of doesn't feel like a Scream movie compared to the other ones. So I I, I agree with you on that level. Yeah, and because of Columbine, I think, they, they really yeah. cut down on the gore, which is a little bit too bad.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah,
1: you're right. It's a very, out of all the franchises, it's probably the most or one of the most consistent um a question i love asking horror filmmakers is if you had carte blanche of either rebooting or extending a
3: classic horror franchise do you know which ones you guys would pick
2: Ooh, i'm gonna let you take that one david
3: okay there's i have a couple a couple different ones i think a great franchise that really really needs to just be rebooted from like the start because (laughs) It has such a great concept, but then like the sequels that they made following it just became like, oh, how can we kill people in interesting ways? It lost like all the, and Justin knows what I'm about to say. I do know. (laughs) Is Final Destination. Oh. Let's start fresh with Final Destination the way they did with like Halloween and Scream. I feel an audience would really respond well to that because you have the nostalgic factor, you have the name, but like, let's stop making it like silly the way that like, you know, the five sequels are or six, however many sequels. It's just mm-hmm. kill counts. Like, let's make it suspenseful. Let's let's get characters that you actually care about, and and let's make it a little bit more. I don't know, not like so dreary and that.
1: Yeah, the stakes of that kind of disappear with the other movies. That's cool. Did you know that they are uh, they officially announced the sixth film pretty recently?
2: We did. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's been a
1: while, though, since we've seen it. So I'm interested
3: to see what happens with it. You said you had a couple for me. So I'm interested. What are the other ones? Okay. One of the dream projects is one of those things that just has a lot of like different people involved. We have asked about it is Cujo. It's just such a great concept and story at its core, you know, a mother and her son and we love that sort of dynamic of a parent protecting their child and it's a fun concept you know it's, mm-hmm. it's something that could be like a thrilling ride the way that like you know a movie which we love crawl sort of was amazing movie it's, it's yeah crawl was Crawl's is really great but mm-hmm. it definitely could have that fun you know nostalgic factor race against time it's harder now though because you know audiences are more or executives are more wary of like violence with animals, especially dogs, dogs are very beloved, even if they are rabied and killing people. Still uh, rooting for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's one we talk a lot about as being sort of a dream project. We just feel it could have a, we could do a really interesting, um, you know, modernized take on it. Yeah. And with these, a bunch of new Stephen King
1: reboots in the pipeline recently and, and in the future, I feel like it's the right time. How, how's your relationship with Stephen King? Are you guys big King fans?
2: Josh, if you can get us in with Stephen King um, <laughs> to get us a project, um, I, I don't know. We would be so forever grateful. Whatever you ask us would be yours.
1: Well, he's sitting right here, but he's, he's making like <laughs> the face of like, I don't want to deal with it right now. So I'll, I'll just talk to him later. Please do. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a huge Stephen King fan as well, which is such an easy thing to say in the horror world, but it's, it's true. I'm the managing editor of Dread Central now. So basically like one out of every five articles I put out is Stephen King related. And you know what, Absolutely. they have to put up with that. If you had to pick a favorite King novel, Justin, what would it be?
2: Ooh, I'm always going to be a sucker for misery. I think forever um I'm just kind of in love so I'm gonna go with that
1: and where do you stand on the film versus book controversy I feel like people are very strong with their one or the other do you do you love them both or I
2: I actually love them both I'm really good at separating I think um Mm. like you know the uh book mediums from like the uh like the film adaptations for for anything I I actually had that same thing with Harry Potter where I'm just like I just have to look at them as two very different you know entities yeah and in their own each in their own way have their own merits and um you know I was introduced to it through the movies so that was my first experience with it Um, Mm -hmm. so so maybe that's why I feel that way also, but.
3: <laughs>
1: so, okay, but ho- Hobbling or Axe, w- w- which is the scarier of the two? I mean, Hobbling is pretty Hobbling too, yeah. <laughs> it's I, I still can't watch it and they don't really show it, but every time I watch that movie, I, I do not watch that scene. I can't do it. It's too much.
2: It's um, just because <laughs> like Kathy Bates' performance is just like, it's so wild. It's so great.
1: Did you know they did a, I think, a Broadway adaptation of it with Laurie Metcalf and Bruce Willis? No. Isn't that sound crazy? That sounds amazing. Yeah. And apparently he didn't like memorize his lines. And there's like these infamous days of Laurie Metcalf having to like give him his line on stage. I just love to be there for that. Yeah.
3: Is some video somewhere. We have to find it. Oh, we sure have
1: to I'm find sure. it. Yeah. And if I find it, I'll like literally include the audio in the middle of this for no reason. But David, I don't want to leave you out in the cold. You said Cujo is the one you'd want to adapt. But in terms of like your favorite book, is that it? Or would there be something different in the King verse for you?
3: (laughs) It's always going to be Cujo. A Stephen King movie that I really, really loved, but I never read the book for, um, also starring Kathy Bates, was Dolores (gasps) Claiborne. And I feel like that one is really underappreciated.
1: Yeah, because Misery is getting all the attention and then Dolores Claiborne is just out here, you know, in, in the shadows. So it's, good. It's, the book's really good too, not to be that guy, but <laughs> I love it. My friend stole it for me from a, I don't know, like a secondhand shop once. And so reading it felt extra dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering to pivot back to The Boy Behind the Door, where did the idea for that come from? What was the like, the, the root of that concept?
2: It so it's interesting. I think it kind of initially came from just a rejection of a bunch of our other stories and scripts, like when we were trying to get our first feature going in in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, David and I just kind of naively were like, "Let's put together something that we think we can just shoot ourselves," not realizing that like having two kids at night in a horribly dangerous, you know, uh, subject matter is not uh, going to be cheap and easy to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But That naivety, I think, allowed us to come up with something really uh, kind of unique and and clever. And then from there, we just really built it out off of, we kind of come at things from building out of themes that we want to to explore Mm -hmm. first. Um, And we really wanted to explore, you know, friendship and uh, loyalty and survival those, that kind of is how everything uh, blossomed. Um, and I think that we took a little bit of inspiration from our own uh, friendship uh, growing up. We we often had conversations about uh, if we actually would turn back for the other, or keep running. Dark. <laughs> and David <laughs> uh, and I discovered that David apparently would turn back and I would keep running, so.
1: I mean, I respect both options you gotta do what you have to do
2: yeah you gotta do what you
1: gotta do <laughs> like who would be who but you uh, you
3: just kind of answered <laughs> david's the bobby apparently <laughs> i um, do feel like i'm bobby to be honest why because well like justin said because he's the one that turns back and justin just admitted he wouldn't although i do actually think there's a chance justin might turn back from me <laughs> 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 if, like the situation <laughs> If like, it was really, really dire. And I mean, obviously it's dire, but like if there was nowhere to go, then he might turn back. I could see him turning back versus just hiding in a bush. But <laughs> I do feel like I'm the Bobby. Cause you know, Bobby is, he's very brave, but he's also sort of, and he's just a regular kid. He's like, anyone could be Bobby. Um, there's nothing that's like uniquely special about him or, or his skills or anything. I was going to say that was something really important for us when developing the characters. We sort of, we wanted to keep them slightly vague in a way where sort of anyone could sort of place themselves in either of their, uh, their shoes.
1: Both terrifying positions to be in. I would have died in that trunk and I have to just be at peace with that, but (laughs) these kids are amazing. How, what was the casting process like for these two? I know that you worked with
2: Oh, oh, well, with uh, Ezra, Ezra Dewey.
1: Yes. So what was it like casting these two for this film?
2: That was honestly one of the most fun aspects of the entire uh, process. I've got to say, like, mm-hmm. I remember that David and I, while we were writing it, and especially once we were finished, we were fairly terrified of what it would be like trying to search for kids to, to helm this kind of movie. yeah. And uh, fortunately, we just got linked up with this incredible casting director, Amy Lippins, uh, who we can't sing her praises enough. She's now a very dear friend of ours. Love um, Amy, absolutely love Amy, and she just made the process fun and easy. She um, she's the one who thought of uh, Lonnie and This Is Us. Like we were familiar with him because of that show, but she was like, "I think he'll be perfect for this," and. Um, you know, we met with him and his mother. Just immediately, we, we really knew that he was the right fit um, for Bobby. And um, for Kevin, we held um, casting, you know, an open casting call. And um, Ezra was one of the earlier uh, kids that had come in. And David and I just knew, like, we were like, oh, <laughs> it's Ezra. And there's absolutely no question. I think that some of the executives, like, weren't they didn't necessarily care as much at the time they were more preoccupied with like well we got to figure out location and blah, blah blah and so like we were like okay but it's you know Ezra for Kevin there like, yeah yeah we'll come back to it but we just always knew so we we auditioned a whole bunch of other kids just like, kids. it's <laughs> but yeah knowing that we were going to go back to him and um you know together they're just a powerhouse
1: yeah, they blew it out of the park. I was crying by the end. This is a really intense, beautifully crafted film. So big congrats to you guys, but also those two actors. Something that I'm very curious about is I noticed that one of the producers on the project is Rick Rosenthal, the director of Halloween Two. How did he become involved with this movie?
3: Well, Rick owns the, the production company, uh, Whitewater, that, um, that we eventually came in contact with, mm-hmm. a producer who we... We met a while back. Ryan Lewis introduced us to Rick and and Rick's company. And Rick is the the one exec Justin was talking about that we showed our that Secret of Myra short film to because up to that point we hadn't really done anything other than mostly just writing. That was sort of our one visual piece to show. And and Rick Rick sort of got it right away in terms of like seeing the story and our vision for it and. Yeah, it's it was uh, interesting, because Whitewater, Rick does have that amazing history of having directed Halloween two, but his company, actually, this was the first horror movie that his company has um, ever done.
1: And I don't know, maybe I'm just reaching, but I feel like it kind of had a similar cat and mouse high intensity energy that, that Halloween two kind of has. So it was cool to see him in the credits
2: maybe that's what he gravitated towards <laughs> when he was looking at the project.
1: I'm wondering what is next for you too. Is that something you guys are allowed to sort of share?
2: I mean, well, I wish that there was more to share, to be honest, <laughs> but um, we do have a couple things that are are in the works. There's one in particular that fingers crossed, please keep your fingers crossed for us that it is, you know, getting a lot closer and we can't really discuss it. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, if it happens, it's something that we've been really trying to get off the ground, uh, for a little while now. And it's something that we're so excited about, um, and really think it could, you know, be a really really exciting time so okay
1: i like that and worst case scenario if it doesn't you have to come back and we'll have to talk about it on development help before (laughs) i set you both free i was wondering if you have any spooky recommendations for the dread central audience maybe movies or tv shows that you've seen recently that i should check out
2: (laughs) i mean for me personally i haven't been able to just watch much tv lately i've been very Busy. <laughs> I think Dan and I have both been kind of swamped. I, honestly, we both saw and loved the most recent Scream. I know now people like, yeah. at first, people were like, Yeah, I love it. And now, like, some fans are like, Oh, it's not that good. And I'm just like, All right, you guys loved it like five minutes ago. But yeah, fans are sticky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, I do think that that's a really great entry in the series. Oh, it's,
1: I loved it too. Yeah. Really nice way to reboot the series.
3: Gosh, I wish I, I just, like doesn't say I just haven't really had time enjoy any movies lately. It's really a shame because I feel like that's something we need to make a priority. Hey, you're making movies. Um,
2: I mean, I'm hearing about some out of like South by like uh, Ty West's new film and I want to mm-hmm. see it Fresh and things like that. So, I mean, I... I know that there are some really great ones out there that I think that Dave and I just haven't had the opportunity to see yet.
1: (laughs) I got to say, I saw X recently, The New Thai West, and I really, really recommend it. It was very fun. Yeah. Um, Um, But on that note, I think I have to set you guys free. Thank you so much for talking with me on this podcast today. And yeah, I hope I get to talk to you guys again soon. Thank you
2: so much, Josh. This is great.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Development Hell. If you enjoy this podcast, then please do us a major favor of leaving us five stars and writing a positive review. It really makes all the difference in the world. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Development Hell.
0: Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.